Welcome to the Mothers You Know podcast. Thank you for being here. This is a place where we as women remember the spirit God gave us. We know how much we matter and we believe all things are possible to them that believe on this Savior Jesus Christ. Here at Mothers Who Know, we support the parents of young men in the Sons of Helaman and young women in the Daughters of Light programs at Life Changing Services. These programs provide therapeutic and mentoring services for youth struggling with depression, anxiety, self-harm, pornography, and any other unwanted or difficult behaviors. We offer parent support, training, and resources for mothers and fathers seeking the best way to support their loved one. Any mother is welcome to join in the Mothers Who Know classes support and training. You do not need to have a child in life-changing services to join in. We hope you'll join us. I am Karen Broadhead. I serve as the director of Mothers You Know, and I serve as the parent support specialist at life-changing services. I invite you to join with me and other mothers from across the country in our Warrior Mothers Who Know online support and training group held every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time. If you have a child struggling with pornography, depression, anxiety, or other difficult behaviors, you will find a safe and uplifting place to learn from other moms and learn principles and strategies to best support your loved one. Please go to motherswhoknow.org to find the online meeting details. We talk about difficult things here with the intent to shine light in dark corners and to eliminate isolation and shame. We are mothers with warrior hearts who are raising the warriors of this generation. We know we must learn to fight well for ourselves first. Then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Welcome to our Mothers Who Know Stay by the Tree webinar series. This series is sponsored by Life-Changing Services, Mothers Who Know, and Mom Power. And let me tell you a little bit about each of those. Life-Changing Services is our main company, and we provide healing and therapy for everybody in the family. We try to heal the whole family rather than just, well, obviously individual people too, but we want to include the entire family in all of that. And we provide all kinds of services for young men, for young women, for husbands, for wives, for moms, for dads, pretty much we include everybody in that. So if there's something going on at your house that you might need a little bit of extra help with, check out lifechangingservices.org and we probably have a program that we can help you with. Within Life Changing Services, the support program for all mothers is called Mothers Who Know, and we are here to support and help mothers as they go through any struggles that they may be having, but more importantly, as they help support their children through any struggles they may be having. One part of Mothers Who Know is Mom Power, where we offer a course that runs for eight weeks, and um, we teach you valuable principles and things that are going to help you in your life. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But you can find information on all of our programs at lifechangingservices.org, motherswhoknow.org, and mompowertraining.org. Or if you just feel like, you know what, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do in this situation, and I just need to talk it through with somebody, please call our main office at 877 877- 
437-6877. And we have some awesome ladies that answer the phone that can talk you through just about anything you might be struggling with. So about our Mom Power course, Mom Power is applying powerful tools and principles to find ongoing courage and peace as a mom amid life's challenges. We can stand in any storm with the Savior by our side. Mom Power Training is an eight-week webinar series that's on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. It runs in between these Stay by the Tree series. So we run an eight-week Mom Power Training course, and then we run three weeks where we bring in special guests for our Stay by the Tree series. Our next Mom Power course is going to be a little bit different. We're trying something new this summer. It starts on June 16th, and normally the cost for Mom Power is $100 for all eight weeks. But we know that moms are really busy in the summer, and especially now because you've all been home with your kids for the last two months, and now things are starting to open up, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I need to get out of the house. And so your schedule is probably a little bit different this summer. So if you register, go to mompowertraining.com or mompowertraining.org. They both go to the same place. You can register, and we're going to be posting all of the eight-week course online, and you can take that course anytime during the eight weeks. But Karen is going to be live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. What she's going to be doing is she'll be teaching a little mini lesson during that time. She'll be answering any questions you have, or if there's a certain concept you're like, I just don't quite understand this, Karen. Can you help me out? She's going to be there helping you all out. So Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m., she'll have some extra training for you, and she'll be answering any of the questions that you have. Mm -hmm. So just go to mompowertraining.org and register, and you'll get all the information. And through this summer, only through August 4th, we're offering it free for all moms. So invite your friends, invite your family members, anybody that you think needs to, would like some extra peace and power in their life, invite them through the summer. Because after that, we're going to go back to our normal price of $100. So today, we have guest Shasta Hardy. And Shasta is going to be talking about encouraging our youth. And I am going to go ahead and turn the time over to Karen to introduce her a little bit more. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. So glad, so happy to have you here. So glad you came. I think you're going to be so glad you came too. We are excited that Shasta is with us today because she's one of our sisters in life-changing services. I have had some direct appreciation for Shasta because of the program that she that she participates in, Daughters of Light. And I just wanted to make sure that we highlight that program today because I think there are our young women are so important. Our young women are so special and they're so powerful and they're faced with so um, with so much in our day. And there's a lot going on with young women. And young women need their mothers so much to have a clear understanding of what's going on and how to support their young women and allow them to grow and navigate all of the challenges of our day that they're facing. And Daughters of Light is such a safe place, a healing place, and a Christ-centered place for for young women to go who are struggling with things that really kind of frighten mothers that make us think, I don't know what to do about that. We've tried all of the tricks that I know, but 
I've reached the limit of my understanding of this situation and we need support. Something I've noticed in working with mothers of sons and daughters is that often we're more ready to get boys help that they need before we're ready to get girls help that they need. I'm not sure why that is, but I'm noticing that. One of the things I wanted to share, and I wanted to make sure that you gals notice that you can contact Shasta directly. And if you have any questions or things after our webinar today that you can contact Shasta. Finally, that we are just so grateful that Shasta's here and she'll share a little bit more about Daughters of Light and why it's so wonderful. But I have a testimony of Daughters of Light because my daughter has been in Daughters of Light and graduated from Daughters of Light and they've been so empowering and cared about her as an individual. And I've appreciated that even though she still is in growing, tricky places, uh, she I've seen so much growth in her understanding where other people are and where she is and being more calm and accepting and peaceful about who she is and where she is, which is exactly where we want her to be. I used to want her to just be where I wanted her to be. But now I think, you know what? I love that she understands where she's at. And I love that I have the opportunity to support her there and empower her right where she knows that she's at right now. And that has been such a gift that I have learned through the Spirit and through partnering with Daughters of Light for my daughter. And I've been so grateful for that. So Shasta, thank you so much for being here. We're going to turn the time over to you and you can tell us more about Daughters of Light and get started. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that one of the, <clears throat> in any group setting, the power of a group, one of the biggest benefits is that when you come to a group, you recognize, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And I think that when people start having serious issues, that's always the one thing they think. Oh, why am I the only one who struggles with this? Everyone else's life seems so perfect. Why am I the only one that's having these issues? And so inherently just in the group process, just coming to a group already medically starts helping that process because you recognize, man, there's a lot of people that deal with the same stuff that I'm dealing with. And there is, there's comfort in knowing that you're not the only one that struggles. And so when the girls come to group, they recognize these girls are just like me having the same kind of problems, dealing with the same kind of stuff. It's so nice not to be alone, that there's other people who understand and recognize that what I'm going through. And so that's the first thing of why group is just such a helpful, a helpful place for people. In this group particularly, I find the more I work with this group, I feel like Satan really attacks our youth in three big ways. It's not just one or one way, it's three. He attacks us physically, spiritually, and intellectually. And the only way to fight back is to be able to gain skills in each of those three areas. And so learning how to have certain weapons to fight back with in each of those areas is what we really focus on in group. I think that self-esteem is a huge issue, self-worth in general. And I think that Satan really wants us to feel bad about ourselves. He wants to isolate us. He wants to disconnect us. And so we talk all about kind of all the ways that we're attacked, all those strategies that Satan uses to get to us. And then we talk about ways that we can fight back what we can do to make sure that that doesn't happen, that we're aware of what's happening and that we can do something about it. The last thing that we really focus on is feelings. I feel like emotional awareness is super key to a lot of this because 
a lot of times when you feel have feelings and emotions, we don't always realize how much they impact our actions and our thoughts. And by, by gaining that really good emotional awareness, it sets up our girls in just a much better place to be able to be aware of what they're feeling so that they can do something about it so they're not acting on their emotions that tend to get them into bad places. So those are the areas that we really focus on in group. Do a lot about shame and guilt, make sure they understand the good difference between that. And then just strategies upon strategies upon strategies of how they can use their talents, their strengths to fight back and not, not give in to, to Satan's attacks. So that's kind of group it in a nutshell. Awesome. That's so great. All right. As soon as you're ready to share and start, you have the rest of the time. Okay. So today we are talking about encouragement. Encouragement in a nutshell is the act of giving someone support, confidence, and hope. Okay. And so these are the three resources that I kind of gathered information from. I love these three books. I would encourage all of you, if you haven't, to give them a look. They have just great information, great strategies, just a really just good foundational stuff of how to deal with issues your kids might be having and just good parenting advice in general. The first one is Kids Are Worth It by Barbara Coloroso. And hers is really, it's younger and teen children. So it's, it's both. Children, the challenge is the focus is more on younger kids, probably up to maybe 12, 13 strategies for them. So it's not as helpful for teens, but still a great book for foundational stuff as far as like how to manage issues with kids. And the last one is Raising Self-Reliant Children in a Self-Indulgent World. And again, just great strategies all throughout that of how to just kind of manage some different issues. And they're all, these, the, the last two older books, but still great information that, I mean, Rudolf Dreykus, he has some just really great foundational stuff. And I think he wrote this book back in like, I don't know, maybe the 70s, but it really holds up today a lot of the stuff that he talks about. And so if you have a chance, I would encourage you to give any of those a look. They all have really good information just in general. And from my presentation, I pulled information um, from each of those books for what we're going to do today. Okay. So why encouragement? Rudolf Dreykus in his book, Children of the Challenge, said, encouragement is more important than any other aspect of child raising. It is so important that the lack of it can be considered the basic cause of misbehavior. Each child needs continuous encouragement just as a plant needs water. He cannot grow and develop and gain a sense of belonging without encouragement. And so, you know, why encouragement? I just want to, you know, think for a minute how you feel when you're encouraged versus when you're discouraged. What a difference that is. You know, encouragement, you know, when you're encouraged, you feel empowered. You know, it inspires us. It imparts courage and confidence. And it, it really does emphasize our importance as a person because it expresses um, confidence and trust in us. When someone, when you feel encouraged, you, you trust yourself. You feel confident in yourself. It also fosters and gives support. And for kids, it really does help them to gain and develop a sense of self-pride. And it enhances internal motivation. So encouragement, I can't emphasize enough how important and essential encouragement is for our lives. You think of any time that you've been encouraged, what you're able to accomplish when you feel encouraged versus when you're discouraged. And just a note on discouragement, you know, discouragement, I really believe, is one of Satan's big, huge tools. He uses that against us and our youth all the time because if he can discourage us, he can get us to give up. He can give it us to lose hope and to lose faith and to feel like, you know, I'm never going to make it. I'm weak. Why should I try? And discouragement very much, it just zaps your confidence and it leaves the door wide open for self-doubt. 
And, you know, it makes it really hard to, to move forward, to reach your potential, to do much of anything when you're really discouraged. So let's take a minute and we're going to look at some of the causes of discouragement, okay? Okay, I'm going to start with comparison. And I just have examples of kind of each of these up here. Comparison. Why can't you be more like your sister? She always gets her work done on time. Your friend Kim never gives your mom, her mom a hard time. I cannot emphasize to you guys enough how harmful comparisons are. I, I liken comparisons to a kid's kryptonite. They are just hurtful and destructive and will destroy your kids. Especially when you compare like siblings and stuff because all you, all you do is set up um, a sibling rivalry because if you compare then they never they feel like well I can't be good enough I'm not like them so then they start to resent each other and then the person who's being compared to feels like they always have to stay ahead so they get more competitive and they're less likely to help their sibling so comparisons are just just really harmful and unhelpful and really the only two outcomes of comparisons is either you find that you're better than the person that you're comparing yourself to which leads to things like condescension, being prideful, feeling like you're better than them, or, and more likely, you find that you're not good enough. And if you're not good enough, what does that lead to? That leads to feeling bad about yourself. That hurts your self-esteem. That says, you know, why should I even try? I'm not going to be good enough. There's no reason to keep going. So comparison's just, in, in overall, um, very unhelpful. The next thing I feel like is a really big one, and I can't emphasize this one enough either, it's perfectionism. Examples of these. That's good, but I know you can do better. Is that really your best? You know, if you just really put some effort in, you'll have better results. And I know I've said that to my kids before, but the problem with perfectionism is it's very much a lie and it's very destructive. Perfectionism is a trap. You know, there was only one person in this whole world experience that was perfect. And we can never, ever, ever be perfect in this life. We just can't. So it's a trap. So if you feel like you have to be a perfect, then you get stuck in a trap that has an, it's an impossible goal to attain. So if you're trying to attain this goal, you're trying to be perfect, and you're always falling short, then it leads to serious disappointment. It makes you feel like a failure all the time. And it can lead to, it can lead to really unhelpful, unhelpful beliefs in your kids, like, well, if I can't do it perfectly, then I have no value. And, and kids start to put their, you know, their importance on how well they can do things. And so perfectionism is just, it's so destructive. And it's, it's, it's such a lie that people get stuck in. So that one's a really big one that we kind of have to look out for. The next one is over-directing, okay? And over-directing is funny because I know we, we all do this as parents, you know? We tell them, okay, go pick up your room, go pick up your clothes, make your bed, tidy room, don't forget your homework, you know, all the things parents do to make sure the kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing. But the problem with over-directing, especially with teenagers, is they don't need you to tell them what they need to do. They know what they need to do. You know, I mean, they're, you know, kids are pretty smart. They kind of pick up on things and they don't need you to tell them not to forget their homework. They know they need to take their homework. They know what they need to do. And by over-directing, it's, it's like being micromanaged at work. I don't know if you've ever been an experience when you're micromanaged at work, when your boss tells you every little thing that you're supposed to do. But it, it's, it can be really harmful because it takes all initiative out. It takes all curiosity and creativity and autonomy of your kid. And it discourages them from thinking on their own. It's just easier. You know, we find it easier to just tell our kids what to do because then they're going to do it the right way, right? The way we want them to do it. And it's going to be done perfectly the way we want it to be done. 
But the problem is, is that when you tell your kids every little thing you do, then they don't really develop that ability on their own. They, they either become way more dependent on you or they actually can start to be more rebellious because you're over-directing them. Because what it really communicates is, I don't trust you. I don't believe in your ability and capability to do this without me telling you to do it. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you every little thing that you need to do. And so by, by communicating that and not unknowingly, we're not doing that on purpose, but by communicating to our kids our lack of faith in them, it actually in, invites and encourages hostility, aggression, resistance, and passive aggressive behavior. And so we really need to be careful with how we, how we get our kids to, to do things we need them to do without over-directing them and doing it because we don't want to communicate a lack of faith in them. Okay, the next one is rescuing or overprotecting. And I find this is probably one of my hardest ones. I do this all the time. So rescuing or protecting. You shouldn't try that. It's too hard. You're going to do it wrong. Let me do it for you. I want you guys to think back when your kids were learning how to put on their shoes. How many times did you correct your kid and say that shoe was on the wrong foot? We do this all the time. And, you know, we think we're being helpful. But in a way, you're saying, again, you're coming in and saying, I don't trust your ability or I, I keep pointing out how you're doing things wrong. You're never going to get it right. And it can actually discourage your kids. You know, if we let kids wear shoes on the wrong feet, what would eventually happen? Eventually it would be really uncomfortable and they'd learn on their own. That's not the right shoe. It feels a lot better when I do it this way. And they would actually learn that on their own. And so rescuing overprotecting is hard because we want to keep our kids safe. We want to help them. We want to give them the right answer. You know, I have a really hard time with that. I love giving answers. I like, if I know the answer, I want to give it to you. And so it's really hard not to come in and want to do that all the time. And the overprotecting one is really hard now too, because the world feels incredibly dangerous. It just feels like we're not very safe and that our kids could get hurt at any time. But the problem with overprotecting your kids and telling them that they can't do things because they're too little or they're just not safe is that again, we are communicating to them our lack of faith in their ability and their capabilities. And we can actually cause our kids to be very fearful and anxious of the world by continually giving them this message that the world is scary, the world's not safe, you can't be safe out there on your own. So that when the time comes that we actually want our kids to go out and do things on their own, they might not be able to. They might be so ingrained that the world's a scary place that we've actually developed a fear and an anxiety for them through our overprotectiveness. And, it, and, and by rescuing overprotecting, we also increase their helplessness. They become a lot more dependent on them when we continually rescue them and show them how to do things and tell them how to do things and make sure, like we tell, you know, no, you're doing it wrong, let me do it for you. You're doing it wrong, let me do it for you. And so every time we do that, we make them helpless. We make them more dependent on us and we kill their autonomy and desire to try things on their own. Okay, so overprotecting and rescuing kind of robs them of their experience of learning and growing. So that's, that's, this one can be a very damaging one as well. It also makes kids feel powerless. And, you, and I don't know if you've ever felt powerless, but it's not a very pleasant place to be. But if someone is always coming and telling you you're doing it wrong and they have to do it for you, then you, you, you feel powerless. Like you can't have any effect on the, the things that you're doing and the outcomes. And so what we're really making our kid, telling our kids is, you know what, we just don't trust your capability to face hard things. We just don't think you can do it, so you probably shouldn't even try. So this is a big one that leads kids to give up and just say, well, I can't do it. It's too hard because we're not instilling in them this faith in their capability 
and um, ability to face, hard, face and overcome hard things. So that's rescuing and overprotecting. The next one is adultism. An uh, example of this, how many times do I have to tell you, are you ever going to learn? So adultism happens when adults forget what it's like to be a child. And I think we do this all the time because we just assume that kids should know, think, see, and understand exactly as we do. We kind of forget what it's like to be a kid and to not have all the knowledge and experience. And so we find ourselves saying things like, will you ever learn? Why can't you get it right? Kind of things because, you know, after one time and as an adult, you're going to learn that. But kids, they need lots of times. They need repetition, repetition, repetition. So after like the 30th time, you're thinking, why haven't you learned this yet? Because adults don't need 30 times to learn something in general, but kids very much do. So adultism, we forget that. We forget what it's like to be a kid and what the learning is like as a child. Again, like, like over, like rescuing over protecting, adultism dis destroys a kid's belief in their capabilities. They start to believe they don't have significance. Um, that they can't influence, they don't have any influence over any events, and adultism is not very supportive. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard this from your kids, but this is the, this, the product of adultism is it sets kids up to feel like every question is a trick by an adult to get them to, to expose themselves and say something wrong. So in, in, inevitably, your kid's response will end up being, I don't know. Because there is no right answer to, are you ever going to learn? So kids, when they're discouraged, and you can always know when you're using adultism, if your kids are saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, because that is the only response that they can give you in the face of adultism, because they feel like it's a trick question. And so that's adultism. And the last one I have on here is expectations. I expect you to have all your work done by the time I get home. I expect you to get better grades than this. And expectations are, are, are akin to perfectionism. Expectations really are about, you have a certain expectation for your kids. I liked how Karen kind of said, you know, I had an idea of where my daughter should be, and, but it's not the same as the idea of where she wanted to be. And so I think we do this all the time with expectations. We have a standard, we have an expectation of how they should be, of how they should do things and how things should work out during the day or with whatever they're doing. But it's not the same as what they have. And so what happens with expectations is expectations almost always lead you to disappointment. Because when you believe that your kid should do something exactly the way you think it should be done, and then they don't do it, then you're disappointed. And so it really sets us up for failure, and it leads to a lot of contention, because after a while, kids feel like they can never live up to your expectation. They feel like it's never good enough that it's never exactly what you want, so they, they just give up and stop trying. Because if your expectation is always up here and they're, they feel like they're only coming here, then they're always disappointed. You're always upset and angry with them, and it just leads to you know, contention and not a good thing between you. The other thing about expectation is when our expectations aren't met, besides disappointment, we, we tend to feel angry and frustrated. And it can actually make not just our kids, but ourselves start to have negative beliefs, such as if they only cared about me, then they would have done it correctly. Or, you know, if I was a better mom, then my kids would behave better. You know, those are really dangerous beliefs that you can have from expectations. And the kids too, you know, if only I was a good kid, then I would be able to do things the way my mom wants me to do them. So expectations can lead to some serious negative beliefs that can really impact your kids and you in a really negative way. So expectations, are not helpful, not helpful at all. 
So those are kind of my big, my big kind of ones I've noticed just working with kids in general. These are the ones I find over and over again, the most common sources of discouragement. And the problem with discouragement is it leads to all these different things. It leads to power struggles. It leads to acting out and rebelling. It leads to low self-esteem, lack of self-confidence, emotional outbursts, giving up and hopelessness. And I didn't, I forgot to put this one on here, but another thing that it leads to is inability to take risks. If a, if a child doesn't believe in themselves, they will not take any risks. And the problem with that is life is full of risks. And if you can't trust yourself to take a risk, then it really traps you into not being able to function very well. In order to learn and grow, a kid has to be able to take risks. I mean, there's risks with anything. There's risks with going to college, going on a date, interviewing for a job. I mean, those all have some kind of a risk in it. But if a kid doesn't trust themselves and have faith in them because they're discouraged, they won't take risks and it can really stunt their ability to go out and be successful in life. And just a note on the first two, power struggles and acting out and rebelling. I just want you to understand those are pretty normal for teenagers. Part of a teenager's development and goal as a teenager, like one of their developmental requirements, is that they act out and rebel. Teenagers have to rebel. That's part of their development. It's part of how they get their own identity and become who they are. So some power struggles and some acting out and is completely normal and natural. You don't necessarily have a discouraged kid if you're seeing that. I would say that you have a discouraged kid if those things are happening all the time in excess. That they're just a lot more than would, would be in a normal teenager. So if it's happening, you know, multiple times daily all the time and you just feel like you're in a power struggle all of the time. I would say that you probably have a discouraged kid on your hands. So, but those just be careful because sometimes that's just normal teenage stuff. Teenagers are going to rebel. They're going to act out. They're going to have power struggles with you as they seek their identity. And that's a normal thing. Kids have to rebel. So just a note on those two. So we've gone kind of over what are some of the causes of discouragement. So now we're going to just talk, take some time and talk about how do we encourage our kids instead. So I cannot emphasize this enough again, because I, how I told you before, comparisons are so deadly to kids. Okay. So the first thing, please stop comparisons. Please, please. If that's one thing you can get out of this is please stop comparing your kids to anyone else. Anytime you compare them, it, it's going to hurt them in some way. It's not a, it's not a healthy thing. Um, the only person that we should ever compare ourselves is to ourselves because this is where we can enact change. I can't ever be another person. Every person is so unique and has their individual talents and strengths and personalities and whatever they have. If I try to be someone else, it's always going to lead me to frustration and failure because I cannot be another person. So if I compare myself to someone, it's again, it's like perfection. It's a trap. It's an unattainable goal. And I'm not saying we can't be inspired by other people. That's not, that's not the same. You can let people inspire you and say, you know, I really, I really like how they do that. I would like to try to be more like that. But only in the only in the instance that it's, it inspires you to do something with your life. You cannot become another person. You can never do something exactly as another person. So comparison is not helpful anytime it's making you feel bad about yourself. And I always tell my girls in group, the reason you should only compare yourself to yourself is because by doing so, you can actually see how, where you've been. You can see where you've been, where you are now, and where you would like to be. And if you don't like where you are, then you can do something about it and choose some different choices so that you can end up where you want to be. And also, if you look back in your past, like, you know, I really liked what I was doing back then. Then you can remember what things were, were, were I, was I doing right back then 
that made me happy then so that I could use those now to help me now. So whenever you compare yourself to yourself, you're, you can see your successes and you can see your mistakes so they can help you learn and, and either continue to make you know, better choices and not make the same mistakes you made in the past. So comparing ourselves to ourselves is very helpful because it shows our growth and it shows ways that we can naturally improve ourselves. So I would just really encourage you guys, please stop comparisons. It's not helpful and it really hurts our kids when we do it. Only person we should ever compare ourselves to is ourselves. Okay, improvements, not perfection. So Elder Holland, a couple of years ago in, in General Conference, gave a beautiful talk. And the title of it was, be, be ye therefore perfect eventually. And I thought that was one of the best talks I've ever heard in General Conference because it, it's so true. And I would encourage you guys to go listen to it again, to go read it again. It's such an excellent talk. Be, your, be ye therefore perfect eventually. And his whole message in that talk is that you didn't come here to be perfect and it's not going to happen here in life. So stop trying to be perfect. Um, it's not about being perfect. The whole idea of this life is steady improvements, steady improvements, not giving up, continuing to move forward. And so, and to encourage our youth, instead of expecting them to be perfect or, you know, getting stuck in that lie of perfection that, and that's not attainable. Instead, we want to communicate, Hey, you know, eventually you're going to get this. The key is eventually. And when they're struggling with something, it's really helpful to say that, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to kick this right now. It's probably not going to be tomorrow, but eventually you're going to overcome this. You know, there's so much hope in that eventually, like it's going to happen. You just have to work and keep at it, but eventually you're going to overcome this. You will succeed at this eventually. So keeping that in mind that you don't have to be perfect now. You don't have to get that perfect graded out. Eventually you're going to get this. And six, and I would encourage you too that success means a lot of different things. Success is not always a straight A. Sometimes success is just passing the class. And you're going you're gonna to pass this class eventually. We're going to work on it, and you're going to get there. And so it doesn't have to be an A. Success is not always an A. Success is just doing your best and getting through something sometimes. So I really feel like the big purpose of this life is to learn and grow. And as long as we're making improvements in, in life, no matter how small, that's a success. And in my group, I tell my girls, it doesn't matter you know, how fast you're going on this journey. It's just making sure you're pointed in the right direction. And as long as you're pointed in the right direction and you're trying and keep trying to move in that direction, that's what really matters. And that's what's key. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do things right. You're going to make mistakes. And that's part of it. It's if you didn't make mistakes, you wouldn't be human. You would not be, you know, there would be something wrong with you if you didn't make mistakes. That's how we learn and grow. It's part of the, it's all part of the package. Um, and part of, part of perfectionism is perfectionism, fighting against it. We have to teach our kids to have the courage not to be perfect. We have to say to them that it doesn't have to be, you know, excellent, spotless, perfect. It doesn't have to be that way. All you have to do is your best. Whatever your best is, it does not have to be perfect. And so having the courage to say, you know what, it's not perfect, but it's my best, and that's what we're going with. That's hard for people. A lot of times we see, all we see is how it's not good enough, how it's not quite perfect enough and how I need to do it over and I need to do it over and I need to do it over. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to improve yourself, but you have to be able to recognize the improvements as success and recognize it's okay that I'm not perfect. I don't have to try to be perfect because perfectionism is, exa is exhausting. And if you're a perfectionist, you're going to be anxious 
because you're constantly trying to be something you can't be. And that creates really anxious kids if you're not careful. So having the courage to be imperfect, to recognize that this is my best and it is great and it is good enough and that's what we're going with. And that, that's, a, that's a skill that we need to help our kids to be able to learn. And especially when kids are first learning how to do things, make sure you don't say, oh, that's good, but you can do better because that will just kill their initiative to want to try again. So when, when kids try to do something, you just, you just say, you know, great job. That's great. And then if they ask for advice on how to make it better, we can do that. But in the moment, have the courage to be imperfect and just tell them exactly that you can see them put the effort into it. And that's what matters. And the next one, inviting and collaborating. So this, this is the antidote to over-directing. Instead of over-directing our kids and just kind of being that person that tells them every little thing that they need to do, instead we need to invite them. We need to encourage them and collaborate with them in, in doing things, especially as teenagers. When there's a problem, if there's a problem, how do you solve it together? You know, invite them to tell you, well, this is a problem. How do you think we should fix it? What would you do in this situation? If you want your kids to be critical thinkers and problem solvers, you have to give them the opportunity to do it. And it doesn't just happen overnight. You know, it just doesn't suddenly wait. They wake up one day and are critical thinkers and problem solvers. This is a skill that has to be practiced. And so anytime you have a problem in your family, invite them to collaborate with you, you know? And when you do that, when you really listen to your kids and take their, like, take their comments, like, it makes them feel like they're assets, like they're helping out, like they're part of the family. And if they feel like they're assets, if they feel like they can help the situation, they're a lot more likely to be cooperative, a lot more responsive, and a lot less likely to be contentious with you. And when you say something, instead of, you know, trying to fix it for them, you just say, well, that's a real problem you've got there. How are you going to fix it? That automatically communicates, hey, I believe in your ability to fix this. I believe in your ability to be able to think about this. I believe in your ability to come up with some good solutions. You know, you're not dependent on me. You're, you're an autonomous person. You know, it really conveys your respect and your faith in them as, as a kid. So inviting collaborating is really important. And again, one of my favorite things about inviting collaborating is it puts the responsibility on them. You don't have to solve their problems. You know, you're busy enough as a parent. You don't have to solve all your kids' problems. You need to let them learn how to solve their own problems. And when they take that responsibility and own it, that's empowering. And that is, is they're a lot more likely to, to actually follow through with solving the problem if it's their problem and they own it. In this world, we have a really serious problem of victim mentality. You know, I'm a victim. I'm, you know, it's their fault that this happened. And it's, and it's to some extent, if you, if you get in a car wreck and it's someone else's fault, sure, it's their fault. It doesn't matter. Your car is wrecked. What are you going to do about it? If there's a mess in your life, you have to learn to clean it up no matter whose fault it is. It's just like having a mess in your room. I don't care if your three-year-old sister made a mess in your room. It's your room. You need to take care of it. So even when problems are caused by other people, it doesn't matter. If there's a mess in my life, I have to be the one to figure out how to clean it up or I'm going to be stuck in that problem forever because no one is going to come and solve that problem for me. So by inviting and collaborating, you're really teaching your kids how to solve their own problems, how to take responsibility, how to own things, and how to stop being a victim. So inviting and collaborating, really good, really good way to encourage your kids. Next one, faith and trust. So this is kind of in the place of rescuing and overprotecting. We have to instill in our kids that we, we have faith in them and that we trust them. And the best way we can do this to show them that we have faith and trust in their abilities and capabilities is to let them do things. We have to give them a chance to do whatever it is they want to learn. 
Even if they do it completely wrong, even if it's a complete disaster, it doesn't matter because there is a lesson in the disaster. There is a lesson wherever, whatever experience they're having, they're going to be taking from that and they're going to be learning and growing. This is really hard for parents. We don't like to let our kids make mistakes. Sometimes we just really want to protect them and keep them from making big mistakes so that they don't get hurt. Well, unfortunately, that really does a disservice to your kids because again, it robs them of the experience that they need to learn something. And if you don't let them learn, eventually it's gonna come back and it's gonna be a bigger problem later on. So we need to allow our kids to make mistakes. It's absolutely necessary. And it's really important when a mistake is made that we separate the doer from the deed. This is where I teach a lot about the shame and guilt stuff because guilt is a wonderful God-given quality. It's it's so helpful to us because guilt says, hey, stupid, you made a mistake, go make it better. And so we're like, oh, that made me feel bad. But guilt only lasts for as long as it takes to inspire you to go make it right. Guilt is actually encouraging. It helps you want to be a better person. Shame, on the other hand, doesn't, doesn't do that. All shame does is say, hey, you're a mistake. You're not fixable. You're not worth anything. You should just give up and, and not try anymore. So shame is super destructive and it never, ever ends. I mean, the shame cycle can go on and on and on forever and ever unless you do something to stop it. So whenever a mistake is made, we have to be really careful that we separate the doer from the deed, that we tell our kids, yeah, you made a mistake. How are you going to fix it? Not that, why are you such a you know, dumb kid that you keep making, you know, why are you so dumb that you keep making these mistakes? If you say it that way, they're going to feel like they're the problem. And if they're the problem, they can't fix that. That's just who they are. And that shame, shame will tell you that you're the problem and there's nothing you can do about it and you're going to get discouraged and give up. So whenever a mistake is made, it's really important to separate the doer from the deed so that shame doesn't have a chance to come in there and hurt your kid. Okay. And then, you know, lastly for this one, we, we can't solve our kids' problems for them. And we absolutely have to allow them to fail so they can learn. And I think that we have gotten, I don't know, failure in our society, it's gotten a an unhelpful definition. Somehow failure is like, well, you're not doing it right. It's a really negative thing. When failure, failure is really just one lesson of how to do it the wrong way. Like, oh, okay, now I know not to do it that way. And when you look at like great inventors, like uh, the guy that invited the light bulb, he didn't, he did not ever consider one of his, one of the lights that didn't work a failure. All he thought of it as that's, I just learned another way not to make a light bulb. And I think that if we can help our kids to recognize that failure is not a bad thing, it's all it is is simply one lesson to help you get to success eventually. That failure is not a bad thing. And if we rob our kids of failure, I can't imagine what my life would be like if my parents hadn't allowed me to fail. When I think back on my life, my biggest learning moments, my biggest like aha moments, my biggest like moments that made me who I am were from mistakes and failure. It's like, man, that really didn't work out. How can I do things differently so that I can have a better outcome? And when we let our kids fail, we give them that experience. We let them pick themselves back up. And it really inspires them. Like, you know, I can do hard things. That, I, that was a failure, but you know, I'm going to learn from it. And I'm going to come back from it. And I'm going to succeed. And so by robbing them of those experiences, we really don't let them experience their capabilities. We don't let them grow and stretch. So failure and mistakes, they're very important. We need to let our kids be able to make mistakes and fail sometimes. They're, it's really important. Okay, so respect. And respect is, instead of adultism, like I talked about, you know, for what it's like to be a kid, the antidote for adultism is respect. We absolutely have to listen to our kids. 
and not just listen, you know how you kind of listen, but then kind of ignore what you say, I mean, actively listening, listen to what your kids are saying, listen to what they're bringing to the table. And when you ask really good questions that show respect for them and their uniqueness, it's really going to convey to them that, Hey, I love you. I respect you. And I encourage you to continue to come to me. And I, because I trust your abilities, I trust your capabilities. I'm going to listen to you and whatever you're saying to me matters. So I like the question with anything. How do you think that went? You know, allow them to tell you from their perception, you know, how something went, you know, what went wrong? What do you think we could have done differently to, to have a different outcome? Again, respect is part of that inviting collaborating. You're working with them with whatever's going on and it shows them that you care about them and that you, you matter. I care about you and I care about what you're saying. And when kids hear that, when they hear that real respect, it's very encouraging because it says, you know what, I do matter to my parents. They care about what I'm saying and I'm going to keep trying because I know that they care about me. So respect, very encouraging. And the last one, acceptance. So acceptance versus expectation. So I know we talked about how expectation always leads to disappointment because our expectations are always different than somebody else's because expectations always cause problems because no, no two people have the same expectations. I, I don't I think I've ever seen that. Even in marriage, the spouses have different expectations and so it leads to disappointment because you're not meeting each other's what you consider your expectation. So instead of having expectation, I always encourage people to accept. Accept wherever your kids are at. Don't expect, just accept. Now, you still have goals and aspirations for your kids. Don't get me wrong. We want our kids to do well. We want them to go on and be successful. But that can look very different from what they consider what they want to do with their life and what we consider successful. So you want to encourage your kids to have goals and aspirations, but don't expect things from them. Just accept where they are and continue to encourage them to those goals and aspirations. And so when you do that, you don't have to necessarily agree with the situation. You know, sometimes my kids do things I don't really consider like, like that's not what I would have done, but I accept where they're at. And I recognize that they're learning, that they're learning from that. It's not the way I would do it, but that doesn't make it wrong. It's just their way of doing things. So if we can accept where our kids are and we don't have those expectations all the time, it really takes the pressure off of our kids. And when we can just say, you know what, you're going to get there. You know, you're going to continue to encourage, continue to discuss where, you know, where you would like them to be with goals and aspirations. You know, I want you to be a successful adult. What does that look like? How can we get you there? What does that mean to you kind of things? And if there's a problem, accept there's a problem and then discuss how you're going to solve it instead of expecting, you know, things to go a certain way. You know, every time I expect my kids to behave in a grocery store, I set myself up for failure. Kids do not behave in a grocery store. I just have to accept that. And when I can accept that, then I can go in the grocery store and not get upset when they do act out and just, you know, continue to encourage them encourage proper behavior while we're in the grocery store. Recognize that eventually they're going to get there. They're not going to be teenagers and acting all crazy like little kids do in the grocery store. You know, kids learn that they're going to get there eventually. We just need to accept where they are and continue to encourage and work with them. I asked my group for some just advice because I asked them what helps them feel encouraged. And these are some of the things that my, my girls from my group kind of kind of gave me to focus on. And they said, it's really helpful when we focus on and celebrate their success. And so instead of focusing on mistakes, we need to focus on what they're doing well. In Children the Challenge, um, Rudolf Dreykus has a really good point. He makes a point that you cannot build on weakness, only strengths. And I think it's so interesting because I, I think back to report cards. And you can go and you can say, okay, your child has A, 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 and they have one C. What do you focus on? 
every parent zeroes in on that C and is like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Instead of going through and saying, oh, look at all these great grades you're good. And then kind of like, okay, what can we do to help you with the C? We zero on in that C and like, well, what's going on? You know, what are you not doing? And we automatically get all worried and upset about it because there's a C. And so instead of focusing on that C, let's focus on the A's. Let's focus on the strengths on there and build from those. It's like, okay, you're doing really well in these classes. What are you doing really well in these classes that might help you with this other class? So build from their strengths. You can't build from weaknesses. That just discourages and sets you up for failure. You cannot be something that you're not. I was never going to be a genius at math. It just wasn't going to happen. My brain doesn't like math. It doesn't work the same way as my, like my husband can do like math all day long in his head. I still have to count on my fingers. Like me and math, we just, we struggle. We just don't. And so to have an expectation for myself that I was going to go be like some kind of like genius mathematic, it wasn't going to happen. That's not where my talents and my strengths were at. And so accepting that about yourself and saying, you know what? I don't need to worry that I'm not good at math. I'm really good at all these other things. So math doesn't, it's not important. These are, these are where my strengths are. And this is how I'm going to develop those strengths. And this is where I'm going to move to so that I can work, build on those strengths and become the successful person that I am. So celebrate your kids' successes, even if they're small, it doesn't matter. Okay. But make sure that you're genuine. This is the other thing they told me. You have to be genuine. You can't be fake. You can't be over the top. You're, you have to celebrate with them, but your celebration has to match their celebration. So you need to kind of take a cue from them. Kind of, however, however they're reacting to their success, you kind of want to match that. If you go over the top and are way more than them, it kind of comes off as disingenuous and stuff. So you want to try to match their excitement for whatever is that going on, because that shows that you're paying attention to them, you're in tune with them, and that you're celebrating their success with them without being over the top or ignoring it on the, on the other side. So recognizing and validating efforts and accomplishments. Genuine compliments and statements. You know what? I've noticed that you've really been putting a lot of effort into this, and I can tell it's paying off. You know, so just when they're struggling with something, just recognizing, hey, you know what? You're really working on this. I'm just really proud of the effort that you're putting into it. You know, keep, keep, good, keep, keep working. You're going to get there eventually. And this is my other favorite, the no buts. And I'm guilty of this. You know, you cleaned your room really good, but your bed's a mess. You know, we do this all the time. Like, we give them a compliment, but then we put a but at the end. Oh, wait. You're doing really good in these classes, but what's about that C? You know, we always put a but in there. So anytime you're going to recognize and validate something and give a genuine compliment, you cannot say but because it pretty much disregards the compliment and focuses on the mistake. So if you can, try not to put buts in your compliments. Okay, try to get those out of there. And this, this last one I think is super important. We have to teach our kids how to prepare for and endure pain and suffering. For some reason, I feel like there's this thing out there that says, hey, you have a right to be happy. You don't have a right to pain. You, you have a right to just be okay all the time. That's not true. That's a, that's a lie. I mean, just by being a human being, you're going to experience pain and suffering. And, we, and if we try to protect our kids too much from that and say you shouldn't ever have to feel pain, that's, that's really a disservice because what it tells them is if I'm in pain and I'm struggling, I must be doing something wrong. That's not true. In life, we're going to experience pain and suffering just as a part of mortality. That is just one of the, the gigs here that we have to kind of work at. And so instead of trying to protect your kids from it, you know, help prepare them for that. You know, teach them about, you know, sometimes you're going to feel physical and emotional pain. But you know what? You can, you can endure it. You are bigger than any feeling that you're ever going to have. And sometimes we have to sit with painful and uncomfortable feelings. But the good news is they're not going to last forever. 
every feeling changes. You might feel really bad now, but it's not going to last forever and you're going to feel good again. And so teaching them how to, to, to prepare that you're going to feel this way sometimes doesn't mean you're doing something wrong and then it won't last forever. It's really encouraging because then when it happens, they can be prepared for it and then it won't be so devastating and make them feel like they're doing something wrong. And so, I mean, pain and suffering is just part of life. We need to keep teach our kids how to endure it. How do we deal with it? What do we do about it? In our society, we're all about quick fix, escape. You know, if you've got a headache, you take a pill. If this, take a pill. You know, go to the doctor. We, we want quick fixes. But with some pain, there is no quick fix. And so you have to just teach them. Sometimes you have to endure, endure things, and eventually it's going to be better. And sometimes that's a lifelong. Sometimes like with depression, you have to endure that for a lifetime with the hope that eventually in the next life, you won't have to deal with that anymore. So sometimes the pain and suffering we have to endure, endure our whole life. But again, the message of hope, I think that's so great from the gospel is eventually it is going to be over. That if you, it's going to be, there's going to be an end to it. We just got to get to the other side of it. And I think that's very encouraging because it says this is going to last forever. It's not always going to be like this. Um, in, in her book, Kids Are Worth It, Barbara talks about the, the six critical life messages, and she talks about how it's just super important that you convey these in your words and your actions. And they are, I believe in you. I trust you. I know you can handle this. You are listened to. You are cared for. And you are very important to me. And by conveying those through words, through your actions, your kids are going to be encouraged. These messages of hope are so helpful to your kids' development because it tells them that they have a safety net, that they can take risks because you're there for them, that you believe in them and you know that they can do things. And it really, it gives them that faith in themselves. And this next part, I love this scripture, Alma 32, 27. And it says, like, this isn't the whole scripture, this is just a part of it, but it says, even if he have a particle of faith, and then he even goes even further, even if you just have no more than a desire to believe, let this desire work in you. And I love that because it doesn't matter how teeny tiny incidency, tiny, you know, tiny bit. If we can instill faith in our kids that, you know what, you can do it. I know you can do it. And when they start to have just that little desire to have faith in themselves and they grow on that, then you can do anything. <clears throat> so helping your kids have faith in themselves, saying, you know what, I believe in you. I know you can handle this. When they have faith in themselves, they really can do anything. So when you believe in yourself, then no situation is hopeless. And we need to teach our kids, you know, with God, there's always hope. No situation is hopeless. There's always, if there's not a solution, then there's a resolution. There's a way to get through this. There is nothing in this life that is so hopeless that we, could, we just need to give up and stop trying. We just need to help convey that faith that it doesn't matter how small. Even if you don't have faith, even if you just want to believe, that's what matters. And let's work on that and move forward. And I love that scripture for that because no matter how tiny, even if you just have a desire for it, let it work in you and you're going to get there. So I really encourage you any way you can use, convey those six critical life messages, start using them in your actions, your words with the kids. It's really helpful um, to be able to encourage them. And then just lastly here to wrap up a note to your parents. I cannot state enough how important it is for you guys to have courage as well. It takes, it takes a lot of courage to be a parent. And you guys absolutely need to have the courage to be imperfect as well. You're never going to be a perfect parent. And you're going to continue to mess up and make mistakes, and that's okay. It's okay not to be perfect. No one is going to be the perfect parent. We all do the very best we can 
with the information we have at the time. And that's why hindsight's not always, we can always beat ourselves up in hindsight. It's because you have more information. In the moment, we do the best we can with the information we have. And 10 years down the road, it's easy to look back and say you should have done something different, but that's because you have 10 more years of information to, to draw upon. In the moment, we do the best we can with what we've got. So, you know, be compassionate with yourselves. Um, number two on this, please take care of yourselves. I can't say self-care enough. If you don't take time to care for yourself, you won't be able to take care of anyone. So it is okay to be selfish and just to do something completely for yourself sometimes. We're like batteries. We have to be energized. If we are completely depleted and we don't do something to re-energize us, we're not much good to anyone else. So take time to do something for you that's completely selfish. Not about your kids, not about your husband, just completely for you. Please take care of yourself. And the third one here, accept, you know, versus expect. Accept that you're going to make more mistakes. Expecting that you're not going to make mistakes or mess up, it's going to lead to a lot of self-disappointment, a lot of self-reproach, and it's going to hurt your self-esteem. It's going to make you feel like you're feeling as a parent. Don't worry about making mistakes. Just learn from those mistakes and move on. Mistakes are what help us learn. We're going to make mistakes. Accept it and don't beat yourself up about it because that's not helpful which is why I talk about the next one. Please stop criticizing yourself. It's okay to make mistakes. We fall into old habits. Okay, learn from that and move on. And like I said right here, dwelling on mistakes just saps your courage. Be compassionate and forgiving with yourself instead. And remember, we're not working for perfection, only for improvement. Okay, and that's my little presentation in a nutshell. Wow, thank you so much, Shasta. I wrote down several questions and takeaways. I think I have four pages of notes here. So I apologize if I was talking fast at one point. When I get excited about a topic, I tend to get over-animated and talk too fast. So I apologize if you couldn't understand some of that. Because I do that with my group too. And my girls are like, slow down, slow down. So I should have told you to interrupt me if I was going too fast, but I forgot. So, <laughs> oh, You know what? It's cool to know that your excitement coincides with that. Because mm -hmm. that's the spirit or the feeling I have today listening to you. I, I think that actually in a different way now. I think that when you hear truth or when you speak truth or feel truth, it resonates with you yeah. in a way that nothing else does. So when I feel truth resonate, it makes me excited and I get, you know, animated. Because truth is a wonderful thing. When you find it, it feels differently than other things feel. Yeah. So I like, I like to teach truth and I like to speak truth because it feels very exciting. So... <laughs> That's so cool. The spirit is always exciting. And it's cool how it's manifested in us differently. Each of us. So neat. Oh, well, you know, we are so appreciative of you being here. And you sisters, thank you so much for being here. I hope that you have felt like I have that this is just time well spent. It's important before we end. I forgot to do it at the beginning. It's important to me, very important, I don't want to miss this, to thank the director of our Stay by the Tree webinar series. Connie Jorgensen puts this all together and makes it so beautiful. And I'm so appreciative of her efforts and all that she does to not only care for the presenters and make sure they feel supported and ready to go, but she really seeks a lot of inspiration in how she does this. And I think that it adds to the spirit that we feel when we have this webinar series. So thank you so much, Connie. And I'm going to turn the time over to April. She has just some final thoughts for us. You bet. Well, thank you everybody for being here today. And thank you Shasta so much for coming. Just um, in, for the recording and for anybody here, 
go to daughtersoflight.org and there's a, a link at the top for clinicians and it's got more information about Shasta. It's got her contact information on there, an email address uh, if you want to get a hold of her. Or again, you can always call the main office of life-changing services and we can give you that information too. So just as a reminder, if you want to take mom power over the summer, now's the time to do it because we're offering a really good deal over the summer just through August 4th and then Karen will be there every week. We're looking forward to another week of our Stay by the Tree series. Our next week, we're going to be visited by Ashley Romney. And she has she's on Facebook and Instagram under at Power of One Girl. So she's going to come speak with us next week. So I'm going to actually turn the time back over to Shasta to answer any questions that you all might have. I just think this is so cool that Shasta has shared with us so much about how we can care for ourselves and our children better. Next week, just so you know, it's a perfect week for you to invite all of your daughters, young single adults and young women, because Ashley has told us she's not going to be talking to mothers. She's going to be talking to young women. That's her specialty. And it's going to be all about young women just approaching them right where they're at. And so anyway, I encourage you to really invite your daughters and the girls in your life that you just love and care for and want them to have a message of hope for them that's empowering. So next week, that's what that is. For, so bring them. Okay, go ahead, April. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I didn't even know that. So that's even better. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> So, all right, Shasta, here's our question for you. This mom says, what is the difference between expectations and standards? We have to have expectations and way we do things in our family, our homes, and our value system. So can you clarify the difference? So I think if the different big difference is like you have a family culture and in your family culture, you say, okay, this is what our family does. This is what our family is about. They're kind of already like, it's really good to sit down with your kids. Like even like before a school, you're like, okay, these are the standards of our family. This is kind of what we would like for you to, you know, goals. It goes back to that goals and aspirations, but the expectation is when you are, you alone have an idea of what it means to be, you know, what you expect from your kids. Expectations are like, well, I, ex when I left for work today, I expected my kids to get everything done by the time I got home. And when you get home and it's not done, then you're frustrated. And so it's good to have standards and it's good to have like, Hey, you know, these are in our house. These are the kind of things that we do. So we set up that good family culture, but you have to accept that when your kids don't meet your expectation of what it means to be done for the day, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You've got to help them learn how to do it in their time, in their way. And I'm not saying you can't have consequences for your kids. A standard in our family, if you don't have, you know, your homework done, you don't go out with your friends on Saturday night. That's just a, that's just a set like standard that says, you know, this is when you do this, this happens where expectations are. I think they're more in the moment, like for yourself, like when you expect something for your kids to behave a certain way and then they don't, it makes you upset. So it's okay to have standards. It's okay to have like, you know, consequences for your kids. But I think that if they're, it's, it's much better to come together as a family and decide those and have a set thing that's going to happen. That way you don't have to get you know, emotional and upset in the moment, you can just be like, well, you know what's going to happen if you don't do that. That way they know what standard you have without expecting and getting yourself frustrated. If that makes sense, that difference. Great. Thank you. Moms, if any of you want to share some of your takeaways, or if you have any questions or clarifications for Shasta, you can just jump in and ask. 
Yeah, while we're getting started, you girls, I have a question, Shasta. You talked about underneath your topic of, you know, having faith and trust for your kids. One of the questions that came to my mind that I know so many women deal with, you know, it's one thing to have faith and trust them and allow them to make mistakes and let them be in that space and learn from it and let them know that it's part of life. And, you know, I love that next piece to just help them to know it's part of life to do that. But as a parent, some of the most difficult things to do are watch your kids um, make huge mistakes or continually, like if you have a child with a therapeutic issue like addiction or self-harm or eating disorders or, I mean, big things that you think, oh, I just do not want them to lose a battle to that. It's so unsafe. It's so not okay. It really makes me so sad. And so as mothers, uh, I know I've experienced this. It's really tricky to know how do I just allow that? You know, like set, because I wrote down, like I can protect and as much as I can, and then I can give them the responsibility of knowing we've done everything that we can on our part. Mm-hmm. And then I just have to wait and watch and notice and probably know this is going to happen again. But what do I do with myself? Because, you know, there's those big, huge things that you're like, I'm going to sleep in your room with you. I'm going <laughs> to go in the bathroom with you and just make sure that that one doesn't happen. Do I mean, I'm going to, you know, big things like that. So just how do we do that as moms? Well, and if your kid is in in danger, like absolute danger, of course, like if a kid is, is playing with fire and they're not, they haven't been taught how to handle fire, you're going to, you're going to step in and you're going to, you know, teach them how to appropriately use that fire. Like if our kids are in danger, if if your kid's in the middle of the street, it's not the time to just like, well, I guess they'll have to learn. No, you're going to get your kid out of the street, right? You're not going to let them get hit by a car. That's not how this works. Um, but the whole idea of I'm going to teach you principles, I'm going to offer the help and I'm going to stand by and make sure you're okay. But if they're, if they're unsafe, we, we intervene in that. We absolutely have to. If you feel like your kid is, uh, is in danger of like suicide or anything like that, we can't just wait for them to, 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 to try and fail kind of thing. There's times when we absolutely have to have to step in But with addiction and stuff. I mean, you get them the help they need, you, you offer it, but at the same time, you've got to learn how to just step back and recognize, I can't save this person. The only, and that's, that's one of the hardest, I think, things as a parent, especially with someone who's really struggling with addiction, is you can't save anybody. As a therapist, I can't save anybody. The only person that can save them is themselves, and so you're going to give them a lifeline, you're going to continue to love, support, and teach, teach them, get them, you know, offer whatever help they need, but at the same time, you have to accept, and that's where it comes back to accepting. You have to accept that the only person that can save them is themselves. And no matter how much you want to rescue them and save them, sometimes you, you, there's nothing more you can do. If you've done your due diligence, if you've done everything you possibly can, I know it's hard, but it's up to them. You have to accept that and give it to God because he's, he's the only, between him and your child, they're the only ones that are going to be able to work that out. And that's a hard, hard, I'm not saying that's not an extremely hard and horrible place to be as a parent, but it does happen, especially with addiction, because it's such a hard thing for people to overcome sometimes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Is there any questions? 
Yeah, I'm going to read this one for you, Shasta. And and I, just in reading this, even I just thought, oh, this mom sounds frustrated. I get that. I totally get that. So she says, it is so hard to accept that my kid wants to play video games all day and not work toward any goals, even if the goals are ones he set for himself on my encouragement. Is it okay to let them fail for long periods of time? My son gives so little for me to positively recognize and validate his efforts and accomplishments or celebrate his successes. How can I tell my kid I trust him if I don't? I don't trust that he will do productive activities if he has his phone. My son seems to feel that I'm expecting perfection when all I ask is a, for a small amount of effort. I feel like I can't ask my son to do the simplest thing without him acting like I'm expecting so much of him. I don't understand this rut we are in. Yeah. Oh man. That's, I, I feel for you. That is a hurt place. Well, and I would encourage you like it's, you know, parents, it's our house. It's our rules. And sometimes kids have to learn those hard lessons that, you know what, in our house, this is what we do. And it's okay to set boundaries with kids. It's okay to say, you know what, you get electronics for X amount of time and that's it. And then I'm shutting you off and you have to do something productive if you want to earn that stuff back. There's nothing wrong with setting those boundaries and those, and those kind of parameters for kids. In real life, like as an adult, you don't get to just sit around and play video games all day, you know? A parent's job is two things. Our, our biggest two jobs is to keep our kids safe while they're little and then it's to teach them how to become productive adults. And, you know, if, and I would just say to your son, I'm, you're not, I'm not helping you be a productive adult. You know, you've got to, we've got to get you doing something. And just, I'm sorry. If that's, if I have to take away everything of being a good parent, that's what I'm going to do. You're going to have to earn this stuff by showing me you're going to be productive in some way. There's no, there's nothing in life that says, I just, I just get a free ride and I get to sit around and do anything. And I know that's really hard and it's going to be tough, but I would just, I would just say, Hey, phone's a privilege. Video games are a privilege. If you want to have these privileges, you're going to have to, you know, show me that you, you earn these kind of things. It's not just a right. There's nowhere it says in the constitution that you have a right to a video game, a phone and all these extra privileges. Those are privileges in our house that I'm providing. But if you're not going to help out in this family, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take those privileges away until you can show me that you can kind of, you know, participate and help out this family because that's how life works. We have to work together. It's not just a one person doing everything and everyone gets to sit around and do nothing. That's just not how life works. And as a, as a loving parent, I'm going to help you to do that by taking this away from you. That's awesome. I loved what you said earlier. You often said, it's okay to say to your child, I'm noticing a problem. Mm -hmm. And then discussing it uh, together. So at least they can see, because I just think in my house, like I felt like that before. And what you want to do is come and say, here's the, here's the high bar. And this is how low your bar is. <laughs> and so we just want you to get even two inches above that low bar. Let's do this, yeah. you know, but it's that, you know, we incorporate all those things that you mentioned aren't helpful. If mm -hmm. we just come at them with the gun, you know, like the, but if it's like, we're noticing a problem and we have a responsibility here and you yeah. are so loved, we care about you so much. So we need to address this problem with you um, and come at it from that angle. I just have noticed at our house, boy, 
it helped a lot when we switched. To yeah. That. And when, you know, when you're 18 and you're on your own, you get to make all your own rules and you can do whatever you want. But when you're in my house, I, this is how it's going to work. This is how it's my job and I'm going to do my job and I need you to do your job. And if you're not going to, then I'm sorry that you don't get the privileges, you know, take the emotion out of it. Just recognize that, Hey, this is how life works. We, you, you've got to, you've got to give back if you want something. That's just simply how it is. Is there another question? Just lots of um, moms that can relate to that particular question. I think we all felt that and have felt that before. So, lots well, of us. you know, <laughs> if you can, if you can take the emotion out of it, if you cannot make it about you, make it about the thing, like, you know, you know, so like, but my, my kids are younger. I haven't had teenagers yet. So I, my oldest is 10. And so when they get upset, like I try to take like, well, it's not me dictating when you get your free time. It's the homework. The agreement was you do your homework before you get screen time. So your homework is really keeping you from being able to do your screen time. It's not me. It's the homework. So, you know, what are you, what are you going to do about it? So if you can kind of take the pressure off you and just be like, Hey, this is the agreement. Like, it's not about me. Like we, you know, it's our house. This is a responsibility. If you want these privileges, Hey, this is what you got to do. And so, Hey, these things are dictating those privileges, not me. It's these things. And so it helps to kind of take some of the emotion out of it. And then they know exactly what they need to do in order to get back that privilege. So, it, and then you don't have to get in fights all the time. Cause you'd be like, well, you want those privileges. This is what, you know, you know what you need to do for those privileges. So you don't have to keep getting into fights. Hopefully it's probably going to be rough at first. So, you know, buckle up. But eventually if you keep stick to your guns and keep to that, it's like, well, you know, these are the things I need you to do. Have you done those yet? Oh, well then I'm sorry. No privileges. Just the way it is. So I wrote a question down. One of them that I thought is what if in listening to your presentation, I've noticed, Oh wow. I have done so many things wrong. Like that's (laughs) what I was noticing. Um, Like what's the best approach when you know, wow, I have really done that wrong. And I totally thought I was like coming at that at the right angle. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, as a parent, what's the first best thing we can do when we have that feeling besides going to shame and wondering, I don't know how to change that. I've been doing that forever. How would you suggest we go about changing that and also enlisting the support of our child so we can change? Well, and, and, and the self-awareness is, is the key. Like being aware that you are doing something like, okay, that's probably not the best way to do it. But being, I always go back to self-compassion. You know, to figure yourself, you know what, man, that was a mistake, but you know, good thing we can learn from our mistakes. So take the positive, like, okay, I've been doing that, but now I recognize that's probably not the best way. And I know my child's personality. I know these other things. What, which of these things with, with my taking my child's personality into consideration, what might work better for this? And I even asked my kids, I'm like, you know, we're really struggling. Like my, I had my daughter, we were just having these fights all the time. I'm like, you know, we keep having these fights. I'm like, what is it that I'm doing that is causing this reaction? Because it, it's, you know, it's not, it's obviously not just what's going on with her. It's something I'm doing that's causing this reaction. And so just getting her feedback on what was causing the reaction for her, I realized I can't spring. She calls it, I spring things on her. So like, she'll come out and be like, Hey, I need you to do this. And that's springing stuff onto her. So she's the kind of kid that needs a set schedule. She needs to know in advance, like, okay, these are things I need to get you done today. So if she knows the day before knows exactly what she needs to get done. Then she's not upset because she has time to prepare herself for it. So getting your kids feedback, asking them, you're like, you're like, I've noticed, you know, this is kind of a problem we're having. Like, what do you think would work better for you? Because your kids do know themselves. And when you come to them and ask that again, that's communicating your faith in them 
you're wanting to, you know, make the problem better, but also like giving them the opportunity to solve the problem themselves, which is empowering. So that's kind of the approach that I try to take when I notice that something's not working right. I go to them, get their feedback, and then try to, in my, with myself, how can I do this better? And how can I make sure I notice when I'm doing it wrong so I continue to correct myself? And it takes time and effort. Please understand, these things sound really simple. They're simple, but they're incredibly difficult to actually do. Simple concepts, difficult to actually apply and do. And that's most things in life. Most things in life are pretty simple answers, but they're difficult in application because it takes work and effort. So good. April, I have like five more questions. So whenever we need one, let me know. <laughs> okay. All right. I've got one other one. So this mom, I think she's been in a different meeting with you, but she said that in this other situation that you may not tell a teenager no, but that you might explain the consequences of the choice and ask if they're willing to live with those consequences. So her question is, what if they say, yeah, I'm willing to live with that? Well, I mean, it comes back to if it's something that's breaking your rules, well, there's a consequence. I mean, it's just, I guess they just want the consequence, right? But if it's, you know, it's, so the, the thing is, is teenagers, I told you before, it's part of their development, they have to rebel. So if you tell a kid no, that automatically sets them up to want to rebel against you. So you should, like with drugs and stuff, you say, don't ever do drugs. I mean, that's a really good thing we want to communicate to our kids, but when you tell them, no, you can't do drugs, it almost automatically makes them want to try it. Like kids are weird that way that you tell them no, and then they want to do it. And so the idea is to set them up in a way that you give them all the information, but allow them to make the choice. But I guess if they're willing to take that consequence, I don't, I mean, you know, that's, it's like the kid that won't stop touching the stove because he's going to burn his hand. Some kids have to learn it by burning their hand. I don't know if that's how your kid is, but some kids, no matter what you tell them, no matter how you paint it, they actually have to experience it to learn. And again, that's unfortunate. And you'd want to spare them those consequences and help them realize, like, especially if it's a big consequence, I'm like, you realize how this could affect your future. Like if you get arrested, I mean, this just doesn't go away. Like with some of these things, like there's big consequences, but I guess if they want that consequence, I mean, it's up, it's they, we, we all have free agency. We all get to choose. If you do your due diligence, explain the situation, give them the consequences and say, okay, well, if you do that, it's totally on you and make them take responsibility. I would say you've done what you can and they're going to make that decision for themselves. And that's hard as a parent, you guys. We don't want them to let them do that. That's where we want to do the overprotecting and rescuing. But, man, there are kids that have to burn their hands. It's the only way they learn. And I wish it wasn't that way, but <laughs> some people are stubborn. Shasta, I know we're just about out of time here, but thanks for all you shared. I want to listen to this again with my husband, of course, because that's going to be awesome. <laughs> but um, one thing I think is sometimes challenging is we kind of – start to hear a principle like let them fail don't have expectation or you know something like that and then we think and that means don't have boundaries or don't like the question of what about the video gaming all day I guess we gotta let them fail or you know or I'm and so sometimes it's hard to find where where's the answer to what do I do with this situation right here in front mm -hmm. of me because I want to allow those principles but I also want to have some boundaries and rules and you know, can sure. you have any advice on thinking about that? So don't, don't misunderstand. Every kid, every teenager absolutely has to have boundaries. Without boundaries, they would fall apart. Kids need structure. They need boundaries. Even if they don't feel like they need to and they kind of bounce around and hit those, 
they absolutely need them to be, be healthy. They are not ready to just be independent out there on their own. They think they are, but they're not. Every kid needs structure and boundaries. So in your family culture, it's really important to have those you know, boundaries and different things set. And when new situations come up, it's okay to make new boundaries if you have to. And so like with the school thing, like with the school year, okay, this is kind of, you know, we want you guys to try to get do your best. And if you're not doing your homework, then these are the consequences, you know, so setting something up in advance so that when it happens, you don't have to kind of scramble and try to figure out what to do. So trying to like anticipate some of the problems you might have is a good way to help prepare. And then just kind of thinking of scenarios. Okay. In this scenario, like what would I do? Like what would be the boundary? I can put Cause kids do need boundaries and structure. When I'm, when I say you got to let them fail sometimes, it's like, it's like watching a kid make cookies. Like, you know, exactly how to make cookies and you could direct them all through that. But sometimes you just have to back up and let them make the cookies. And how do they turn out? They turn out. That's what I'm talking about. We teach our kids. We give them proper instruction. But then we have to go and let them do things. And so not jumping in, like recognizing when your kid, like, okay, I've taught them. Now I've got to let them do it on their own, even if they fail. That's kind of the difference. Like, it's, we want to teach. We want to prepare. But once you've done that, you have to back off and let them do it. That's the only way that they're going to learn. And sometimes they're going to fail in that, and that's okay. I mean, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're successful the first time, and then you can celebrate that. The point is to let them do it, to, to teach them good principles, and then let them. So it, it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to let you go out with your friends. You know, you know what our family kind of has standards for, you know, and now I'm going to go let you out and into the world, and hopefully you can live up to those standards. But the thing about expectations is, the, the, the reason I, I talk about expectations is because when you have expectations and they don't live up to whatever your expectations are, it leads to such disappointment, anger, and frustration. So you're constantly in a negative place. So it's good to have standards, goals and aspirations standards. Don't misunderstand. You want to have those for your kids. The whole thing about expectations, though, is expecting that they're always going to live up to those, that they're always going to do the right thing, that they're always going to get their homework done, that they're always going to be on time for curfew, that they're always going to get the dishes done when you ask those things set us up for contention because it's not realistic. I mean, you, do you ever have expectations for yourself that you don't meet and then you disappoint yourself? So expectations aren't necessarily helpful because they lead us to a place that says, if you don't get here, then you're a failure. That's why expectations can be harmful is because they set a bar to a set. And if, and if you don't get to that bar, you didn't, you're a failure. So instead you can just say, you know, I would like to do these things today, but I'm going to accept whatever I get done. That's good enough. And that's the same thing with kids. Like, I want my kids to do well, but I'm going to accept if they get that C. I'm going to accept if they're late to, for curfew, and then we're going to work on it. We're going to have a consequence. I'm not going to get upset about it. Just say, hey, you know, when you break curfew, this is the consequence, and then you employ the consequence because real life has consequences. If I drive too fast and get in a wreck, there's a consequence. You have to teach your kids that their actions, there's always a reaction. So if you want if you don't want that consequence, these are the ways you avoid that consequence. I mean, you can do drugs, but what are the consequences? Let's talk about it. You know, if you do these things, what could possibly happen? You know, and so giving them all the information and then allowing them to make the choice. That's so helpful. Thank you for adding that. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks everybody for being here. Shasta, Really appreciate your time with us. Thank you so much. Do you have any final things you'd like to say before we go? Remember, improvements, not perfection. So many moms want to be perfect. You guys, we can't be perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. Please be compassionate with yourself. I can't reiterate that enough because so many times 
if you're not, if your kids are failing, if, they're, if they do something wrong, you feel like it's your fault, like you're not being a good enough mom, okay? Your kids are going to make mistakes. Your kids are going to fail sometimes. You're going to fail sometimes, and that's okay. Improvements, not perfection. Excellent. Hey, thanks everybody for being here. Remember next week to bring your young women and your young single adult age women with you. Appreciate you so much for being here. Thanks, Shasta. Thanks. Everybody. Yeah, thanks everybody. I hope it was helpful. Oh, so, so helpful. <laughs> Thank you so much.